my vice principal, whatever you want to call him, said to me, you won't make it enough in life because you're a fucking loser. His music and his music taste defined some of my early teenage years. And I've always done what I wanted to do, regardless of who told me otherwise. He's a pioneer in his own right. It's taken me 20 years to get what I hear in my head into a computer. Moments in Music. Welcome to Moments in Music, a brand new podcast from Defected Records, where we get to know our guests through the records that define them. And today's guest, it's a guy that has been around the block. Please welcome Oliver Jones, aka Scream. Welcome to Defected. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. It's nice to see you not like backstage somewhere know, for like, like five for, seconds. For like, yeah, for like literally three minutes. Slubbery, yeah. slubbery kiss and we'll see you later. <laughs> I feel like that has been our relationship for the past like 10 years. That sounds so dodgy, but yeah, yeah it has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three, three minute slubby kiss, that's yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for choosing all these records today. It feels like there's a proper journey to get through. There's, there's a, yeah, there's a, I've, I've picked moments, I guess, of my life, I yeah. guess. To a degree. So let's get talking about the first one, Sunship, Try Me Out. Sunship, uh, Try Me Out, the Let Me Lick It mix. Um, so, look, story goes. <laughs> when I was about, I think I was about 11, I was going, I was seeing a girl and I was, when you used to have to talk on the house phones. Yeah. And I was speaking to her for ages and, and so basically the, the phone, I, up the upstairs phone was outside my brother's room. My brother's a DJ, worked at Big Apple, etc. And I heard us like I was sitting there talking to her for probably about an hour into the call, as you did. Like you rinsed as much as you could, didn't you, on the phone? And um I'd heard the song playing from my brother's room. He just he sort of he'd gone from playing hardcore jungle for years and then sort of got into garbage in the early nineties. Well, about ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. And I just heard the tune, I was on the phone to her. And I just remember hearing the call change, the first call change after the, oh, you know when it comes in. <laughs> like, yeah. And saying, I stopped talking, I was like, I didn't know. And I swear this to you, it sounds like one of them cliche sort of DJ produce whatever stories. But I swear to you, like I was a kid. And at that time, I didn't, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I played football, whatnot, because the boys did it. Like all the boys played football, do you know what I mean? Mm. And whatever, but I didn't really know where I was at, what I wanted to do. And, and it sank. There's a little twinge in my chest. Like now, if it happened now, I'd probably have to go to hospital. But it was, um, it, it genuinely, I was like, what just happened there? Does that song still to this day? I get the same feeling. And it was, I remember I went silent on the phone and she wondered if I was still there. And I was just like, I've got to go. And then that was sort of, honestly, that was sort of, that was the start for me where I was like, I want to, I want that feeling all the time. And was it like, it was something that it f- it, made you feel it, yeah. like an emotion? Like, yeah, but considering I wasn't listening, like, it caught me ear. Because mm. I, I used to have to, where the phone was, I used to have to sit against a wall and then his room was here, my room was there, but it was all sort of on the landing. Yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck just happened there? And it's still, it's still, that feeling still, to this day, I try and, get that feeling like when I make songs mm. so I try and get synced I'm like yeah use it as like an anchor point yeah 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 like, but on it like I swear to you like and that with songs I play I still look for that that 
and it's yeah. If you had to describe it, like I can't like it's, what would it, it be? It, as I said, I'd go to hospital now if it happened. <laughs> like I would if it because it was like a it was like an over bit. I don't know. It's just saying it's, the cool change up is why I'm obsessed with with progressions and and, and like it's the same reason why I'm obsessed with. Um, horror soundtracks and, and movie music because right. it, it evokes emotion right. and it's all because of that song. Right. Honestly, I promise you. That's crazy. Mm. And for the, for those people that like don't know, your brother, Hijack. Hijack, yeah. Yeah. So he was originally part of Internati with um with Groove Rider Bailey, um, Iceman. Um, he worked at the, originally the second floor of Big Apple Records, which is a famous record shop from Croydon, which I ended up working in 37 Surrey Street Market. It's gone. Now two now bars. Um, but um, yeah, it was sort of became the home of dubstep. Became it was just it was the one of the we was actually the number one defected seller in London. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> that's a true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Simon will tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was yeah, it was it was just a pub. But I ended up working there later on. Whilst I started working there, I was about thirteen because I just wouldn't leave. And they said to me one day, if you're going to hang about, get behind the behind the jump. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah. So he. He's the reason why I used to break into his room, scratch all his records. Like, I'm not talking, I ain't talking A-track scratching. My brother was a scratch DJ, ironically. But um, I used to break and ruin his records. He ended up having to put a lock on the door, which I then managed to break. <laughs> um, I broke it so bad once I couldn't put it back together. Nearly killed, nearly killed us. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, he was he's a legend, still is. Yeah. Amazing DJ, yeah. I remember seeing him a lot around when I was... Younger, when yeah. I was like 17, 18, you used to go to forward. And yeah, it was always It was always with it, yeah. Always, well, yeah. Well, because the, the first forward I went to, one of the first, I think, well, I went to the first one and I was only allowed to go. I was I had school the next morning and I was only allowed to go if he'd come, if he'd go. Right. He didn't particularly want to go. <laughs> and he had to come out for me to be able to go. How old were you at that point? 15. Was it? It wasn't that plastic people. No, at that it was, point, was, uh, it? It was uh, Velvet Rooms. Yeah. Velvet yeah. Rooms. Yeah. It was Slimzy and Maxwell D. I think the first one. Yeah. Dub play only because that was the thing. It all stemmed from um, from a Big Apple Christmas party where they come up with the idea that everyone has to can only play dub plates only, that like no song was released, and that was where Sarah Lockhart and Neil Jaloffy got the idea for Forward from mm. from that Christmas party. And what was um, before we kind of get into like Big Apple and stuff? I know you've told that mm. story a lot of times, but. Like school for you, you said you didn't know what you wanted to do. You wanted to be a footballer, but then you weren't sure. And you I, heard didn't this wanna, I, I didn't necessarily want to be a footballer. It was just one of them things. I played football in primary school, yeah. and then you just—it's one of them things. It's an easily social thing. Yeah. Like all the boys do it, and all your mates do it. So you do. I was, I was fairly good. Like, well, I wouldn't say I was great, but I mean, my school team was the best in Kent. So like Jason Punchon played in my school team. Mm -hmm. We went, went on to Palace. Liam Fontaine went up to I think Kilmarnock or something. So it was we used to have Chelsea scouts down watching us play. Mm. But I, I weren't really. It was so intense. Like if you messed up, there'd be you have to have a fight after. Like, it was that intense because they all wanted to be professional footballers. I'm like, you weren't oh, sure. I yeah. was more into girl, like, girls, <laughs> and then and then I found music, and then it was sort of girls' music, and then I smoked a lot of weed. So it was like girls' music and. I don't want to say girls music and drugs is a terrible thing to say. But, but <laughs> maybe true. Felt like home, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it was um I felt like I'd found my thing. Mm. And like some people still haven't found their thing. I was very, very I still find myself so blessed that that I found it so early on. And during a really like school at that point, my school was a shithole. Like it was that my school was 
like in context, it was, I don't know if you'd ever remember this, but there was a famous story of the headmistress who stole all the money. From the, it was, so I went to a Catholic school, it was grant maintained, which means that they, 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 they cook their own books basically without it being public knowledge. Right. So my school, like basic, my school was on the front page of every, every paper in the country. And there was a docu, there was a, like a, a, um, a series called The Thieving Headmistress where Pauline Quirk from Birds of a Feather played my headmistress. Right. She stole all the money basically. And then there was, we had nothing. Like it was fucking it was terrible, really. Yeah. If it happened to my son now, I'd be like raging on my door. But it was, um, so when when I got music, like, I didn't want to be at school. Like it was, I always questioned, I didn't question authority, but I knew when, you know, when you're getting lied to it, this is the most important thing in your life. This is the most important thing. Mm. It's really ultimately, you know, now it's actually not. Yeah. Like, unless you want to go into further education where I didn't really know what I wanted to do and found music, found music by say DJing. And it was just like, oh, love it. Like I loved it. I used, then I'd find where I could play. I'd go to social clubs, house parties, like then, We'll get on to like when I met Benny, but it was it was just I knew what I wanted to do, and I stopped playing football because that was so intense. Because they wanted to be pros, and a lot of them went pro. Yeah. And I was real, and then but my teachers and that when I, I remember saying my last day of school, like check this for a school, my like shit you're not right. This is true. My last day of school, my vice principal, whatever you want to call him, said to me, "You won't make it enough in life. You're a fucking loser." Exact words. Right. Exact words. Imagine saying that to a kid. Yeah. Then. Literally two years later, I released the first screen album, posted it to the school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of like Did down. you get a response? No, of course I didn't. <laughs> what, what do you think it was? Because I had a similar feeling at school where I felt like, you know, it, like higher education you is always a bit like, alien. Dr- yeah. You feel a bit alien, do you know what I mean? So like drilled into you, like, you need to get GCC, GCSEs and A levels and go to university and da 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 da. And in order to be successful, or these are the things it, you need to do. Sorry to cut you off, but yeah. it's, it's if you don't do that, you have to go into manual labour. Yeah. That's yeah, the yeah. only option, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But there was something inside of me, and I'm not quite sure what it was telling me that there has to be like an alternative. And yeah, where did yeah. that come from for you? Just that feeling, that yeah. initial feeling from the Sunship record. Right. And then when, obviously, like, I jumped head like head in. And then when when I was so, I was at my mate uh, Luke's house, and his, his next, his boy lived around the corner, funnily enough, a boy called Drapsy. And I see him music making tunes on a Music 2000. I put, this was when I was about 12, 13, about 12. And he, I was like, because of where I'd go record shop, I'd been up to Arthur's studio. Like my, in, in your head, you think you need like a 10 grand, 15, 20 grand studio, right? Mm. So I was a kid, I'm just learning it. And I see him making music on a, on a PlayStation. I was like, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> on a PlayStation. You're like, Phew, head blown. Funnily enough, same boys, brothers, section boys. Oh, right. Turned out to be no section boys. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, don't, I remember seeing them when they were babies, when they were nappies and that. But yeah, yeah. So I remember ringing it. I remember my mum come pick me up and I made her take me to Curry's or Dixon's or wherever on the way home. I was like, please, can you get me this? And then that was how it started. And then not long after, I met Benga. Uh, um, Big Apple Records was like your sanctuary, wasn't it? Yeah, well, there's a thing. I was at school, and it was it was the it was the first place that made that age didn't matter mm. how people spoke to you. Like you got talked to like everyone else there. Mm. That was what made us feel. It was the first time ever like you actually got talked to like not shouted at by a teacher or shouted at that by yeah like you felt yeah you just felt age meant nothing, and that was when I ended up starting to work there, and 
it was just it was amazing like it was literally I, I put I put so much of myself personally as a like as a, how I am to that shop because they they give me responsibility yeah. like do you know what I mean I, I got to work the shop well, when I was about 15 I got to work the shop on my own on a Sunday like that was it's a big thing do you know what I mean mm. and it was just just being around just being talked to proper it's like it sounds so silly but at that age when you feel already feel like a bit of an alien because you don't know what you want to do and, and then you find this place that is like it's just um, just I don't know it just made you feel proper do you think you still would have found your way into music without that record store what no. do you think no not at all no because you know how intimidating records are yeah 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 I remember yeah. going to the black market I remember telling my mum I was going up the shop I ran, got on a bus, got to East Croydon, got to Victoria, went to Black Market, got ready or not. No, it weren't ready or not, it was something else. But I remember that feeling. I was my, I, In the back of my head, all I was thinking is my mum, I should be home by now. Mm. And he said, I'm going up to Woolworths or something. <laughs> and then I remember getting in, getting the record. But I remember how, how scared I was because, like, you're meant to know what you want. Yeah. And like, I didn't even know what I wanted in life. You know what I mean? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, um, but no, I wouldn't be nothing. I wouldn't be the person I am about that shop. And I wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't have met the people I met, which went on to be, it wasn't just, it weren't just normal people, really. If you look at that in hindsight, it was mm. like, I would never have met Benga. It wasn't for Big Apple. I was well, I was in there on my own one day and boys walked in and gone, are you Scream? And I was like a bit scared because at the time quid and I just don't, a few issues with a couple of people. And he was like, you make tunes in it. Because my brothers just started making tunes as well. Gave me his number. And that's how me and Benga met on the phone. Right. Just ring and play each other's songs down the phone. And then I met his, but I started hanging about his brother, Alpha. Shouts to Alfie all the time. Um, and then I met Benny. Benny was like little mad cheeky. He's, like, he's only a year younger than me, but he was, because I was arguing about his older brothers, he felt so much younger. Mm. And then we just, I guess the rest is history, innit? And I met Mala, met Lofa, met Koki, Chef. Um, I met everyone via that record shop. So like really, it, it weren't just a shop for me. It's like literally the blueprint of of what went on to be. I'm talking close family, friends, like like live, like my family. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Arthur, I've got to mention Arthur, obviously as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that that those people kind of stayed throughout with you throughout your career. I mean, me, Bengal and Coke, you made a record last night. Yeah, oh, really? Mm. Last night? Yeah, yeah. No way. Yeah, so so. I'm looking mm. forward to hearing it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fire. It's proper fire. <laughs> and like staying around that time in your life, mm. one of the other records that you've chosen, Jocelyn Brown. Yeah. Um, somebody else's guy, obviously a bit of a switch up. So that is that's my mum. Yeah. Like it's um it's my mum's favourite song. In my mum's house, there's like a loft going around the house rather mm. than on top. Yeah. And she had I found all my brother's old records and my mum's records, and it was that one. And that's what got me into disco, like properly into disco. Right. It's more funk, but I mean, that was, I'd done a mix um, for Lofa, I called it. It was called Disc 23 or Disc 19 or something, Disc something. He's the only person with it. <laughs> and he, he lost, like, I was asking him recently, he's like, Are you having a laugh? <laughs> if you've got a CD in there. I was like, that was just when. <sighs> I met Lofa, what, when I was. This must have been when I was about 18, maybe. And that was the tune I opened with. And it was more for like Fatback Band and all stuff like that. But that song is my mum's song. Like I remember at her 50th, 
I hadn't been about for a while because I'd been touring and whatever. And I remember turning up and I could hear people going, oh, that's Leslie's son, that's Leslie's son, the DJ and whatever. And, and um, I was getting up and she had a bad back at the time and she was like, she hadn't been having the greatest night because she was been playing. I was like, come on, get up. And we had a proper dance, proper, proper dance. How much impact did your parents' like musical influence have on you? Was it like he's more my brother, really? Yeah. Um, but I mean, look, my dad used to, my dad was obsessed with Natural Born Killer soundtrack, which is like Dre, um, Iggy Pop, dance like dance, right. like so I feel like they did, yeah. But no, nah, no, nah, it's more in a, it's more in a mental way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, nah, no, nah, it's more my brother, and then it's more the record shop and then because behind the record shop was 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 Beano's which was the biggest second hand record shop in Europe yeah so I'd go there on my lunch so it was more in my brother really the hearing because I wouldn't have heard that song I was yeah Sonship song yeah so that it wasn't a particularly musical house and like things like somebody else's guy like I'd hear a lot at weddings because my mum would request it so I suppose right. in that way but I mean not massively it wasn't massively musical it was a hectic house but not massively musical yeah. and at what point so you're a, you're a teenager you're working at Big Apple at what point do you start to feel things shift for you when um, well I suppose we was on the front of a magazine when I was 15 so yeah, I actually, was, I actually remember Juice, Juice magazine. I, f- I found the or copy Rewind, of that. It was Rewind, or one of them, Juice or Rewind, I can't remember. Bengal was in Rewind, and then I think we both done Juice, D E U C E. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, I so found I, a copy of it in Rin- at Rinse years well, ago. There was, so, what was the mini disc era? The mini disc era was. Whenever the mini discs come out, that, yeah. was, when, that was when we started to, to <laughs> feel, because that was when we started taking our tunes in. And it was like. Me and Benny would turn up with like 30 tunes each every week. Or like, not even every week, every other day. And that was when we'd start playing them through the, the, the Jamo speakers in the record shop. And that was the bit where... That was where Neil Jaloffy caught wind. That was before Sarah worked for... for Sarah Lockhart mm-hmm. worked for, for Ammunition. Mm-hmm. And no one would tell them who these boys were that making tunes. Then we were getting like I think the I think the moment where it was like I think for everyone I think anyone who makes tunes I think the moment you realise that it's happening is when you hear your song played in the club. Yeah. Being at school and hearing your song played in the club. If I didn't like if I didn't like being at school anymore, this made me not want to be at school even more. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Because I I used to get suspended loads. And I'd just, I'd wanted to get, I'd get myself suspended on purpose. Because what they used to do is they'd give you a letter to give to your mum. Yeah. Absolutely, most backward thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a good kid. I'm going to go and give my mum a letter to get in more trouble. So what I'd do is I'd pretend to go to school. They'd have to drop me off because they knew otherwise I'd, I'd do a runner. And then I'd, I'd say, all right, see you later. Waiting for them to drive off. Then I'd run because I was on a shortcut to get to the bus stop. Get on the bus, go home, make tunes. Then buy a, by about two o'clock, I'd go back to the school outside the school and get picked up. And go. <laughs> but it was around that time and about 14, 15. The thing is, it happened, it seemed to happen really quick for us. Like the, the initial part, but we just, because we had each other, me and Benny, it was like this creative competition. So we were like secretly battling, but not battling, but influ- influencing each other. Mm. So it just, we were rapid. If you ask artwork, he'll tell you, like, we were rapid, how quick the quality got up. But yeah, around that time, it just, it felt like it was happening. 
I remember, I remember we went out, we went to Velvet Rooms. It's whenever the first Velvet Rooms was. Mm. I remember Beggar's tune got played, the tune called The Dose, which came out on his on the blue Big Apple vinyl. Yeah, I And then mine got played that set. Another, I think my song The Bug got played that night and they ended up both coming out on Big Apple. But it was around that time. It was just like, it was just mad, really. It's mad yeah. when I think about it now. Well, you so got your kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the thing is, what's mad, what's proper mad is... We thought we were the bollocks then. Like yeah. We thought we'd made it then. Right. And then pff, it was another few years later till Mystics come about. And then, but then we thought we was already like, had long-term career then. Yeah. And then it's just, it's a mad thing of, wow. Like it's mad being me being in now. It's like 22 years of Scream. Yeah. Like actual active Scream. Yeah. That blows my mind. Do you ever like have a minute to like stop and think about it, or was it too yeah, much? Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot. I think lockdown was a very big part, a very, very, very big thing of yeah. actually thinking. Well, because everything had been non-stop, non-stop from the minute I left school until lockdown, and I think that's it was a part of me why I was so scared during lockdown. Luckily, I had my studio because I was studio and my family. <laughs> Imagine I just said the studio kept me sane, um, but um, it was that was. It was, it was more or less every weekend from the minute I left school until lockdown. Mm. And it's, you just, it's not particularly, probably not particularly healthy thing, mentally or physically, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's, I'd, I, I'm very, I feel very, very blessed. I'm not sure if I've got older, I'm not sure if it's because of kids or, or, or whatnot, but I do feel extremely, the amount of people I've seen come and go in all that time. Yeah is pretty mad like and we're talking big people to, yeah. to smaller underground producers or whatever the fact that i'm still here blows does actually blow my mind the yeah. fact that i've actually still got an active fully active fan base but i put that down to my crowd was my age when i was growing up right do you know what i mean yeah. it wasn't like older or younger it was my age yeah like whether it be i was the same age as the kids at uni that i was playing to yeah so i put that put it down to a lot of that but i mean yeah, I've, like I do. I've been sitting. I've been quite retrospective recently. Like, hence the scream is a mate and, and stuff like that. It's like, um, I, yeah, it's I'm, I'm, I'm taking it in more now. Like every day, I'm like fuck, and but it's putting more puts more pressure. You like, where you never think about it, and then when you do something, you're like shit, I've got to fucking make. I've got to keep this thing alive yeah like yeah. I've, I've got to have no doubt of that but it's like I care so much about my fans and I care so much about people I believe in and whatnot. but it's a, that's an extra stress on you like, yeah. do you know what I mean yeah like it's just how, how my head works do you feel like I know you, you've spoken about lockdown like quite fondly in a way like a freedom in the studio <laughs> and studio wise yeah. it was it was amazing right because I realised that I hadn't had that much time because I've said this before but when you're in the in the cycle just gigging look you go out say Thursday start gigging on a Thursday finish Sunday night by the time you head straight like to get in the studio because you bear in mind I've got kids so to be back Monday morning up at six but and by the time your head's ready to get in the studio it's Wednesday and the way I've always made tunes is like bangers because from my dubstep era, so it's like, I've got to make a banger for Friday. Mm. You had frazzled, so you end up making like, just a banger, not a timeless record, like which, which, and you get wrapped in that for so long. When I, when luckily I had a studio built in my house, 
like a few years back. Like it was fucking such a blessing in disguise during lockdown because it was I fell in love with my machines again and like not just rushing stuff and actually realizing it was when I it was the point where I realized that I could make more styles than my contemporaries because you're just in clubs all the time, people just making club stuff. Whereas I forgot that I've produced for Miles Kane. I forgot that I've done songs with Khalees. I forgot that I used to do dubstep stuff. I forgot that I used to do garage. I've been making garage for years. And it was like, it was nice. It was just like, like production wise, I've done like 900 records, not no, mm. finished. What? That's mental. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> by the end of the first lockdown, I said to Scott, you know, my manager, yeah. shouts to Scott all the time. Um, I was like, I think I got writer's block. And he's like, I'm not, he said, I want to show you something. He showed me like 248 songs. He was, I was like, all right. He was like, fucking sort yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then it was, I, just, I got so much done. I was inventing new genres. Like, I was, my head was going <laughs> mental. Because any time I got stressed, like panicking about going out again, mm. like we didn't know, I was just, I'd just channel that there and I'd go. And because like, because me and Mrs. around each other all the time and it was all right. It was like they wanted me to go to the studio. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it wasn't like where normally it's like no one's seen you. Like where it can sometimes be a bit stressful going to the studio. It's like kids ain't seen you. Yeah. Like it, it can sometimes fuck with your, your personal life, you know. But there it was like they wanted me to go to the studio for a few hours. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, um, it was, yeah, it was, music wise, it was amazing. Financially, it was a catastrophe as it yeah. was for everyone. But and stress levels were through the roof because that unknowing where, and especially someone like me who's, who's Music, going into music gave me routine to stop me from being a naughty little bastard, really. Yeah. Like, it gave me routine to not, like, I knew what I was doing, especially touring. Like, I knew where I needed to be on each day and I knew where, where I had to be. Right. And it was the first time I didn't have no structure. And it threw us, completely threw us, freaked life out of me. Mm. Because you can fall into old, well, it's not old, but, but I know... Luckily, you couldn't go to the pubs and that, because otherwise I'd have probably just ended up in the pubs and all that and just being like a fucking reprobate. Uh, rep, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was good. It was, it was, it kept me sane, the studio. Yeah. Like, well, sane from not rip, completely ripping my hair out of panic. Yeah. And you talk about touring, like, well, we spoke about it a little bit off camera, how intense it can be, especially if you've been doing it for 20 mm. odd years. What's your like relationship with touring after all this time? I like flying. Yeah, I've been flying to like my first flight as a, as a baby was to Australia, so I've, I've always done long flights. So I, I generally like flying. I get my best sleep on planes. No way. I think it's the vibrations or the noise or something. But I like the thing is I can never complain about touring because you pick your own battles. Yeah. Right. And I see like see people who who um, stress out and whatever, but at the same time. Just you only take on as much as you can deal with, and if you it, that's where the relationship falls out, out of parts is if you you take on more than you can handle for other people's benefit. When really, if you look at it, all them people stressing you out work for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's the bit I try and explain to loads of younger artists because it's um it's you don't work for anyone. Yeah. They, everyone around you works for you. Yeah, I think people forget that though. Yeah, if yeah. listen, your agent, you don't work for your agent. Your agent works for you. You don't work for your manager. Your manager works for you. And this, I've always known that. So I take on, look, I'm, I think I'm slightly different. I'm built slightly different as artwork says. I'll be around with the cockroaches. Like when, if there was Armageddon, <laughs> he says I'll be around with the cockroaches. But I mean, my I love nightlife. I love people and I love, I love it. Yeah. Like I love it. 
It's yeah. real life that freaks the life out of me. Right. Because I, I know nightlife, like, that's all I know. Yeah. It was like another thing going back to lockdown, like having to ring mortgage companies and ring, I just didn't know what to, I was doing. Yeah. But why would I? Like, literally, I've just been rolling in and out of clubs for like all my life, really. If yeah. you look at it, like, I'm not saying every weekend since I was 11, 12, but I mean, like, it's well documented how long I've been in clubs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was touring for me is, is, is sound. It's a. Uh, it's a comfy bed. Well, apparently. It's what you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like, I like being in hotels. I like, it's, it's, it gets difficult when you've got kids. Yeah. Like my son understands, because he's older, but my daughter, because she grew up this in lockdown, she was used to me being there every day, mm. every single day mm. for two years. And she got quite separation anxiety when I started going away because she thought I wasn't coming back. Like, it was just weird because she weren't, she didn't, no, she grew up in lockdown. Yeah. And it's, I feel sorry for a lot of kids who grew up in lockdown. Especially kids who were meant to be going to secondary or whatever. Yeah. lot, man, it was a lot. For them, more so than adults, because their life was literally... To, you know, with my daughter, it was she was she was with us. All she knew was me and Chloe in the house. Yeah. So it was that, things like that, when the, ringing your sound and miss you and stuff, and it's hard to explain to... She sort of gets it now, she's four... She sort of gets it. She like it, I got it into her head that when I'm going away, it's because I'm going to get a present. She knows a DJ. She tells her teachers that my daddy's a DJ. Mm. But like that was our sort of easy. I'd bring, I always bring her gift back. Do you know what I mean? So, but it's I try and limit it. I try. I won't go. I don't know. I don't go away for longer than two weeks. I had to when quarantine opened in New Zealand because we had to quarantine for 10 got days. Stuck, got stuck twice. Yeah. I ended up quarantined twice in yeah. one trip. That was hard because I was away on Christmas Day as well. Right. And that was horrid. That was brutal. Yeah. And like sitting in a hotel on your own. Like yeah. that was horrible. But yeah, generally touring is, I find it, I find it easy. If I didn't, um, if it started to, I'd, I'd be completely balls out honest with anyone around us. If yeah. I was like, if it was getting too much, but I mean, it's not, it's not as easy for some as I, I find it because it's, it's all I know. Some people, it's not all they know. Some people get thrown into it and feel, don't, don't necessarily know the position they stand in, in where like, they're the boss really. Yeah. Because it, it can be intense. Like when you got, when say you come, say you go zero to a hundred overnight. Yeah. Which a lot of people do. All these people around you. Yeah. Like why you don't even know where you got them there. Luckily, I grew up in, in in a position where I had people like artwork, I had people like Sarah Lockhart, I had people like John from the shop. It was I knew why I had each person. Right. Because they was helping me. They wasn't sucking life out of me. Yeah. Which happens a lot now. Yeah. Like so much, I see it all the time, and I've, I've helped so many young producers cut their teams because I remember I asked. I'm not going to mention their name, but I asked. Asked a young producer, I said, Why have you got a manager? And he said, They get me gigs. I said, Well, why have you got an agent? I said, Well, they get me gigs. I said, well, What are you paying two people to do the same job? Yeah. I have a manager because it's the, for, the, for the scream side of it as an artist, and mm. I have an agent for to get my gigs, but I understand that. Yeah. But the, it, you'd be so surprised. I, you know, it's, it's a very known thing. I look after, I try and look after as many people as I can. For, for, reason my stress levels are right. and like that's not from gaining anything but I like helping people because I have good people look after me and there's mm. not there's, there's good people around but there's not as many I don't find as many as there used to be there's yeah a lot of, is that because you reckon there's, a lot there's of rich, more money there's involved. a lot of rich kids on the run right a lot of people who've been handed jobs and don't actually understand what they're doing yeah well, but like 
there's going to be the worst thing is right when that goes out there's going to be so many people thinking is he talking about me is he talking about me is he talking about me because <laughs> there's so many I've, yeah. heard, I've heard some outrageous things um, from people like like mad like from people who were meant to be like in industry legit yeah like mental talking of like families we always spoke about Big Apple but we haven't really touched on rinse yet um, obviously Sarah Lockhart went to rinse genius was there before well, I actually, my intro to Rinse was, I went up on a boxing day with, um, like, Plastician and that. And, a fabric? Um, no, 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 I went up to Rinse. Oh, okay, yeah. No, this was years ago. Okay. And um, it was Uncle Doug's who got me on Rinse. Oh, really? Yeah, because he used to run Rinse with, with G and Slim. Yeah. And he said to us, he promised us, he was like, brother, we've got to get you on here, we've got to get you on. I got really always got on well with Doug's. He's like, still to this day, we always have, like, there's always odd catch up here and now. But it was Doug's. G made it hard for us to get on there. The night he made, now, he made, <laughs> he made it hard for us to get on there because they didn't have dubstep on there. Right. I tried a show. And then, um, it was Doug's got my show, got me a show on there. Right. I'll thank him for that forever. And then that was long before Sarah got involved. That was, uh, the first time I went up to Rinse, no, the, this when I got when Doug's told me that it was a Christmas party in Rinse Station underneath the kebab shop in uh, on on uh, opposite the Blind Beggar on Romo is not Romo on both no but Blind Beggars yeah, yeah. Um, it was under there it's a dangerous dangerous spot like if there was a fire everyone would have been like absolute goners but it was I remember Dogzilla Sire but they was all up there there was like full team it was like. I shouldn't have even been there, but I got invited. Like, I, I was like a tag along. And uh, that was her. Uh, it was like mad. I remember sitting there, and, like, because I was a pirate radio kid, like, I was massive into pirate radio. Yeah. And it was like all these people I listened to, I was like, bro, this is mad. Which is funny, because that's how it was for me. Yeah. When you were already on there. Right. Because I was like 17 when I was. I remember, yeah, yeah, you were working in the office, didn't you? Yeah, I? I was in the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. My first day actually was. Um, uh, when we were on Brick Lane, but not the nicer studio, the one at the back. Yeah, yeah, but uh, opposite ninety three feet east. Yeah, but That's... it was like the other side of the car park, and it was a whole little room. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, downstairs, and then upstairs was the studio. No, no, no. So before we were in there. Oh, yeah, 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 we yeah. Were across so, the road. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, oh, oh, so that yeah. So originally, it was. Oh, so you know, ninety three feet east is. Yeah. If you come out. The right, there was a door there. That's where it initially was. Right, right, right. And then it went to over in um Back where, in the car park. What's the gaff on the corner? Yeah. The I know club, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um yeah. Brick Lane. No, it's not 93 uh, feet. Not it's Rothschild. 90... Like near Rothschild. No, no, no. It's, it's where you used to have to walk into, it's that dingy little room you're talking about. It's the other side. It's yeah, the it's other, other that looks like an office sort of building from not office building but like with glass doors and that. Oh, do you, do it's you been it's been in about four or five been, places, yeah, hasn't it? It was this horrible little room and it was like no bigger than where me and you are sat <laughs> and no windows and it was just a door and like a gated door and my first day well my first like few weeks there was literally just to carry shit from that room <laughs> across the car park yeah. to like some other room yeah 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 and like loads of records and just like 12 tens and like rubbish shit heavy stuff Every, there's heavy, heavy shit stuff. yeah <laughs> and like and then and then I got asked to go upstairs in the office and I would kind of just sit there and just do odd jobs or whatever. Oh, I know you're talking about. So you're, when I took you out so I'm taking the downstairs one. Yeah. You're talking about the big one upstairs next to the studio. No, not even. Wait, it's There's so, so many. many yeah. Because we used to move about a lot. Yeah, we're not getting anywhere. We're just no. where we're <laughs> locations away. But I just remember there just being like, piles of like fag butts in the corner and like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so yeah 
And uh, do you remember the weird biscuits I used to get sent? Yes. And the boxes. Yeah, but nobody told me about these. <laughs> really? Nobody ever told me about this. I remember coming in once and they've gone, and I see stuff from the name and they've gone, look, we didn't want to give them to you because we didn't freak you out. We think you've got a stall car. That was proper weird. Yeah, yeah I was getting sent mad, like, luxurious biscuits and like yeah. right, random bits of fabric, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We once got this box and it was like, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like a wooden box that they'd handcrafted and inside of that was like, like torn up letters. And, and a head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we found out it came from somewhere in Europe. Yeah, Germany. So yeah. it's coming from somewhere in Germany. Yeah, but, yeah. I, but basically, Sarah never told me about it because she didn't want me to get scared. She was like, but we think, you we think you've got a stalker, yeah. That's but the, so but the thing is, it turned out when we eventually opened the ball, it was like really expensive, expensive luxurious biscuits. I like, I like a biscuit, <laughs> do you know what I mean? We were getting probably like every month. Yeah, yeah. And I think would, it was coming from the same person. Yeah, yeah. It would, it would turn to a bit of a thing in the office, but I had no idea that you yeah, didn't know Yeah, no, she didn't tell us because she didn't. Yeah, she thought I'd be freaked out by it. Yeah, every so often she'd be like, oh, fucking hell, it's mad how got It's again. mad how they must have just found it on the, on the vinyl address or something. Yeah. But apparently it was a lot there, yeah. I reckon it was uh, the address was on the website at that point, but that was when you... To be fair, they've done my ego, like, the welder good. <laughs> <laughs> got biscuits getting sent from Europe, you know? Probably laced with fucking... <laughs> But that's when you were. Was that was that when you were around when your album came out? That no, that them, that sort of thing was happening when I did the the rinse CD. Right. Remember, was it volume two or whatever? Yeah. The the when the, the rinse series. Yeah, it weren't. It was after. By the time they had that office, the big one, um, that was. I was on rinse. Yeah. Then, that's why I always pop in. But yeah, don't ask me. Oh seven maybe. Oh six. Oh seven. Got the CD come in 07, the mix CD. Yeah. So they'd be around in 07, 08. And that was when, it was around the time where Ford was at Plastic People. Yeah. Which, like, those years... Like my youth club. Yeah, it, like, fucking shaped my mm. teenage years. Best thing ever. Yeah, amazing. I was so grateful I was part of it. I listened, I'm, like, I loved that place. Yeah. It got, it got a bit, got a little bit crap towards the end. When the booth changed. Yeah, and it just it, like when Ade went went to build the houses in, in yeah. Africa, I think he went like it, it sort of. No, it's no one's fault, but it was noise restrictions. It was people who didn't have to deal with what they were getting thrown on top of them, and it yeah. was just clientele sort of changed. It was becoming very much more. It was, like always, it was, always, it was always white, yeah. like very white heavy. But yeah. I mean, it was sort of that. <laughs> That transition from sure that it's a Dawson, I guess. I don't know, like yeah. where it was sort of like post dubstep, I guess. Yeah. And it was sort of, it wasn't that original hub, like where, oh man, I used to be, I used to serve drinks behind the bar in there. Yeah. I used to have my birthday parties every year. I remember having, I'd, I'd, I'd zinc back to back with Randall on one of my birthdays because we'd have, we'd have the official screen birthday party, then it, it would be the proper birthday party lock in. Yeah. And I'd, I'd have special guests every year that'd just go off to yeah. like, we'd be in there, we'd be walking out and like, two days later, <laughs> like me, Sarah and like, everyone like just coming out the back door like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that place like holds a very like special place in my heart. And I just saw like so many good DJs in there. Do you know what? I saw so many people play. But for me, it was like, like I've had mates who, who produce now who got into music from there and they, they still say like, 
sitting down next to Quest or Silky and like this, mm -hmm. everyone was so sound. Yeah, there's no backstage. I mean? Yeah, there was no moodiness either. Yeah. You had a couple of kick-offs, but it would generally be people who didn't weren't meant to be there, sort of thing, like pissheads who'd walk in or whatever. Not pissheads, but you know what I mean, like City Boys or whatever, who didn't really know what they're coming in for. And mm. like, because it was, you couldn't act like a dickhead in there. Yeah. Not that it was rough, but it was like, you'd literally, everyone would be like, who's this dickhead? Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. the toilets in it were absolutely outrageous. Horrendous. Outrageous, <laughs> man. I've got, I found some photos of my brother and, and um, geezer called Military G in there. I found them on, on Scott found a load of photos on my Facebook for one of my birthdays. It was now funny looking back. But it was such a great place. Like the door staff was sound, like Winston yeah. was so sound. So lovely, yeah. So sound. Whatever happened like, to Winston? I don't know. Do you know what? I bumped into him a couple of years after it shut. He was working, I think he was doing a security job or something. So I'm like, oh, I think he ended up retiring because I think he'd done so long. And I think he got glassed once, he got bottled once. It was so out of order. I don't know who'd done it. It was like a random. Mm. And I think I remember him going, ah, oh, fuck this, because he'd worked with plastic people for a reason. Yeah. It was all sound people. Yeah. And he didn't have to. It Deal was it really, it was just making sure everyone was safe, really, like searching people to it wasn't necessarily for drugs, do you know what I mean? It was, mm. it was not saying he didn't, not saying he was letting you in drugs, but I mean, it was more, it was more just a safety thing, as it should be, really. And that, that vibe at the club, that's what it was, wasn't it? It was just sound. Yeah. It was like everyone was all right. Yeah, it was a good place. It was a funny place. I remember my, I used to work there on Thursdays after I'd be at Rinse. And my main job was basically just to get DJ's drinks. And mostly it was just like Red Stripe and whatever. But I always remember Youngster always had whiskey. Yeah. Like, and that was always like stuck when in it my Hennessy, mind. It? Yeah, it was something straight. Yeah. Just a like, class, just a class. I remember of it. Youngster when he didn't used to drive. I remember Youngster when he wouldn't even take a fucking Rizzler off someone. He was <laughs> intense as he did. The first person he ever let hold a Rizzler for him was my ex, it was Charlotte, but Jesse's mum. And I was thinking, does he fancy her or something? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those times, those times are wicked. It was great. Like, it shaped so many people's lives. Yeah. Like, it shaped my life. Like, it was like youth club. It was just like, it was a home. It was like, you see, I knew any night I went, I could pop in. Like, no, blah, yeah. Like, so I didn't have any money on me. And I just sort me a drink. Like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not just because it was me, because it was like, it was just part of the family. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, I'd help out. I'd, I remember serving drinks when it got mass massively packed once. Yeah. And like, they was understaffed. I remember going to serve drinks in there. <laughs> Can you imagine it? Me yeah. going to bars serve drinks. <laughs> I saw a lot of like, unexpected faces in there as well. I remember seeing, I remember Skrillex being there one. Plastic people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Later, yeah. much later. I went there then. Much, much later. He was there one night. Yeah. Um, I know, like Boy But I Know used to come in. And yeah, well, there's the famous yeah. request lad story in it, and it was all in there. It's the famous picture. Yeah. Plus, this was playing, but it's, uh, they spin it all the time. They, to be fair, even they come later on. Yeah, it was a bit later like, on. Like when yeah. I think about it, because when I think of Forward, it's, I've, I've, it's like from Velvet Rooms, and to, I remember the Turnmills parties, the Fabric parties. The first time I went in Fabric was for, was for Forward. Right, one of your records, Screaming Benga. Yes. The judgment. Yes. Had to get one in there with Benny. I had to, yeah. This is the beginning of everything. This is the beginning of like of as we were talking earlier about when when things felt like they proper starting like there was having songs played in the club, but then getting your song into vinyl wasn't easy, right? Like it was, you'd have to have a record blowing up for at least a year mm. before someone even consider it. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you remember hearing EZ play tunes in a club? Mm. I'm like, I remember sitting on tape. Going into the record shop with this 30 second clip, going, no, no, it's that one, that one. But it's like you used to have to graft it, and then it was that one. Um, Asher introed with it on the 
Dubstep All Stars, yeah. Volume One, like quite iconic. And then it was that was the intro, and that was the first. And up until Magnetic Man, only record we done together. Was it really? Mm. I did not know that. We couldn't ever finish a tune because we just talked nonsense and like right. we were kids, <laughs> right? So we'd be sitting there eating chicken and just like his mum, bless her. Um, we'd just we'd just sit there mucking about, and his brothers would come in, and we just couldn't. We could write 30, 40 tunes on our own but together. We just could never. And I remember going to do that song because I was about 16. I just started a college that I weren't meant to be in. They put me on the wrong course. Right. And I literally stayed. They put me on a media course. I wanted to do a music course. They put. I, the only reason I stayed was because on the first week they announced a trip to Amsterdam. I'll never forget it. They took 200 of us to Amsterdam at six, 16 year olds. Fucking better. Um, but um, then. So Benny lived in Coolsden. I went to school and I was going to college in Deal. So I'd get the train and I'd just walk up to his house. And I remember, mm. I'll, I'll never forget the day we done it because, yeah, it just came together. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was Screaming Bengal. It was it was like on every magazine, it was every song of, every, of the month in every magazine. And it was like, that was... Because the thing is, there was never Scream and Bengal. There was Scream and there was Bengal. Mm. And even after that record, there was still no Scream and Benga. We yeah. didn't tour together, we didn't DJ together. Like, it wasn't until much later where the actual Scream and Benga as a duo yeah. came, yeah. really. It was just two kids who'd made a song together who were mates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was for me, that was the start of everything, really. And I think, I listened to it the other day, man. It sounds, still sounds so ahead. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it was still, we were still on the back of Zed Bias and, and Steve Gurley and LB and Horsepower. But it was one of them where, we fully could stand with the big boys, I guess. Yeah. Just kids. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a good, but for me, that was, he's like, look, he's been my brother forever. He's like, he's, he's, there's not many people that hold closer to my heart who aren't family, do you know what I mean? And uh, it's just, for, it was, that was, it was a big thing, man. And, try and get older vinyl now, the green one. It's hard. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really hard. hard yeah. The, uh, the boy owns DNR keeps all the big Apple vi- coloured vinyls in a safe. Is he really? <laughs> I think story, I have. Yeah. What's the what's the red one? So the red one is red. That's, that's the one I have. <laughs> that's the one I have. <laughs> Never believe it. Yeah. Uh, the blue one was skank. Green one was judgment. So yeah, it was just uh, it was considering. Really, I don't think up yeah up until Magnetic Man, I don't think we did anything together. And then Magnetic Man came along a lot later. Mm, too far. Um, so Magnetic Man was originally Benguin Arthur. I wasn't a part of it. Oh, right. I didn't know that. So on my birthday at Fullwood, they had this idea. They'd done what's happening. Is everything cool? Yeah. And then they'd done it the most ghetto, cheap fucking show. Like, so they'd done a back-to-back set behind a white sheet in Plastic People. I remember that. And it was like, <laughs> the problem was is, so you could only see their shadows, but the problem yeah. with that was is, Bengu had a fucking massive afro. <laughs> so they're behind a white sheet and we could just see this afro and it was like meant to be a top secret thing um, about who it was and it was like, that oh, was clearly Bengu. <laughs> like Arthur could have been anyone, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But Benny's like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> but, um, but it was only, I got to be involved with Magnetic Man, it was after we got a deal from the Prince's Trust and right. obviously I was pretty live, like it was screaming, blown and, and whatever and it was, it was, it made sense for me to join up. But to be honest, it felt, it felt, um, I felt like I was invading someone else's project for quite a while until yeah. we actually did the album. And then I sort of, I felt involved. But up until then it was sort of like, I didn't really, I sort of had my own thing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they all had their, I, sorry, all had their own things, but I never tried, never tried to get involved in anyone else's shit. And then, but it sort of made sense in the end. Yeah. Because yeah. it was the story behind the song, whatever. 
but yeah, that was a wild time. I remember you guys going away to write an album and they had to like put you in the countryside somewhere. No, 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 no. They didn't have to. Arthur thought it'd be nice for us okay. to go down to um beautiful little uh, uh little little town opposite Padstow in, in Devon. Beautiful place. But what they failed to remember is me and Bengra City rats. Yeah. So we had cabin fever after about a week. <laughs> but me and the first time me and Bengra ever argued. I remember being in the office and there being like a... Mate, the label, <laughs> Columbia, come down, yeah, to see our progress, right? And the only song we'd written, like, I'm not sure what I could turn it, but the actual, the intro was Ketamine, check. Ecstasy, check. Cocaine, check. And we just, it was just a, a checklist of drugs, right? And it went into a mad electro song that sounded like Boys Noise. And, like, they put a lot of money into my group, man. <laughs> and we, they were paying a fortune for this house for us to build a studio in. Come down after about three months, that was the only thing we had. <laughs> and they were like, I remember I'm going, Philippe, who was looking after us, he come down and went, I remember just looking at Mike Smith, who was the head at, uh, head at Columbia at the time. And they just all sort of went, I guess we're just going to have to roll with it. <laughs> and the song never come out, it was a fucking belter. It sounded like, um, what was the song? Oh, some old Mr. Oizo thing. It, sounded, it was more or less a rip off of that, but with just a load of drugs, the drug names at the start. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was when, um, we got a phone call. It was like, you don't need to fucking like, actually crack on here. Yeah. I was, I, like, I was like, crack on. I'm like, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it was like G or Sarah. They sent you a text. Like, how are you guys getting on? And you guys sent back a photo of your like weekly shop. Oh, that no, was mine and Benga's weekly shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweets. Sweets, booze and, yeah, sweets, booze and biscuits. Yeah, that was it. That was it. A <laughs> whole album. trolley. Full of, and that oh, was it. made a right big figure that he sent it to bloody everyone because <laughs> he was getting cheese and like, stuff that would last, like sort of tinned foods. Me and Benny were just like, right. but the thing is, that's what we were like. It was, it weren't, it weren't like, um, we, the thing is, we weren't mucking about. Yeah. That's the thing. It's authentic. I, I noticed when I go down to Devon, I try and be more like, a, when I go down to Devon and look studio, I try it because you have to do, you do your shop before you get there. I try and be more of an Arthur, but I just can't get away from being a screaming bringer. Like <laughs> bare biscuits and sweets and fucking ice lollies. <laughs> and let's talk about like your more recent work. Yep. Um, Screamism 8. Yeah. There's a lot of like quite personal yeah. records on there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, um, Thinking of you, yeah. with the boy. Yeah. What was like the process of writing this? Because it's been a while. So what happened was, so where I started writing 140 again in the, in the latter end of lockdown, um, so I hadn't done Screamism for like 10 years and I've done a Screamism and it was a dubstep one and like loads of people hate me for this, but I scrapped it because it sounded like I was trying to make records that I've made before and it's just never what's one I've been about, two what Screamism was about. Screamism about was a snapshot in time. Um, well, not unfortunately, but during this snapshot sort of time, I was writing, my mate passed, and so a lot of, like Roy the Boy, um, I'm Not Ready Yet, were made the night he passed. And it was like, it was, I just, I didn't write, the Scream is a Mate that, that came out, wrote itself, it was just happened, like I'd done the song with Trim. Hit, the track Hit, I did at Devon Analog, I think, maybe in the first lockdown or pre-lockdown. But I remember listening back to Hit, like the first track, and I was like, I feel like this is the start of something. Mm. And then it just re itself, like, it's mad because it's the only record I've ever written that's reflected actually my feeling at the time. So like Thinking of You was initially a voice note, like you've probably read this and other people have probably heard me say this, but it was originally a voice note. 
I was having a bit of a meltdown during the second end of lockdown. I just thought about, I was thinking about the kids and fucking, and whatever. And I wrote this note, like to the kids, just letting them know everything will be all right and et cetera. And then I ended up recording that on my phone and then put it on the screen. And I was like, because it was never meant to be anything. It was just, I was just having a fucking feeling sorry for myself and whatever. And then I ended up putting some drums under it and then, because initially, when when I had put the drums under it and put some keys and everything, I was going to send it to. Basically, I was thinking about everyone who just had kids. Jamie Winston had just had a kid, who's good for the one. Annie Mac had just, I think, had her second, then Pro mm. Green. Mm-hmm. I sent it to Pro Green, and basically, he just recorded my message back to me, and it felt really impersonal. Jamie Winston done the same. Maybe I didn't really give him much of a, um, a brief, but I was like, look, this could be a really special thing. And it was like, when they said it back, they was just saying my words back to me. I was like, no, nah, because it don't hit. It, it's not that, my... It's your story, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And then I had a recorded version. Chloe come in, heard it and cried. Mm. Literally burst into tears. A couple of other people was like, this is really special. And I don't like my voice on record, like really. But the sake about me saying it that really resonates and hits people. Roy the boy, look, saying I don't mean that getting into, but it's, it's that's that's his voice on on Roy the boy. It's a voice note on the night my mate had it on his phone. So and I was just like, basically, I locked myself in the studio on that night, and I was just writing to like drown out what was going on. And then you got things like like I'm not ready yet. That was the same night, and so it was his first realistic, it's the first proper personal record I've done, and like it's, I think it's my best body of work ever. Like easily without a shadow of doubt, and that's over Magnet Man, that's over over Scream, that's over Outside the Box. I think it's my best production to date. I think it's best structures. I think it's original. I think and it sounds like me, which is the main thing. The the one that I scrapped sounded like me trying to sound like me, mm. which is an oxymoron in itself. But I mean, it's it just didn't feel right. And then the way this one come together, I've got to shout out Platoon, um, the guys at Platoon all the time because they was they put so much into it. Got a shout out to Inza for the artwork because it was just the record was so retrospective. Like even like when I say Inza, there's one of my favourite graffiti artists growing up as a kid who knew my mates, oh like we'd never met, and then like I'd used to buy his uh, apparel and and like it was just mad. Like even working with Trim, that goes back to Screamism Six mm-hmm. and like the very retrospective record and I, and I, that's in BPM, that's in sound, that's in and 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 I think it sounds like the music I was set out to make. Yeah, personally. Do you find like, as you, because you've been in the like the game for so long, mm. do you find like as you get older and you're still in it, there's like a sense of freedom again, like the freedom that you experienced when you first started. Now, now, like I got wrapped, like not wrapped up in like when when I stopped playing dubstep when it moved into house, like I, I realised I was playing everyone else's game. Yeah. Whether that be producer, whether that be DJ, and then that's where you fuck up. And then I'm like. Like, I had such a big career before then, and I've always done what I wanted to do, regardless of who told me otherwise. And I got lost a little bit. Like, don't get me wrong, I've had fun. Like, still enjoying myself, I'm still playing how I still play, but like, I play it how I want to play it, and I make what I want to make, and do what I want to do. Because I always did, and that's mm. how I got to where I am. Yeah. And but sometimes you forget that because you start playing to other people's fiddle. And uh, yeah, but like, it's like, I'm in a, as I said at the start, I feel very blessed to be, still be here. And actually, I realised after lockdown, I could actually do what I want to do. Not 
like in a in a leery way of I can do what I want. Yeah. Like, but I can do what I'm gonna do, and people want me to do what I do because that's why they like me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, in, in that way, like now I've I've got to keep going all out. That's <laughs> why I started doing dubstep stuff again. Like, it's not no no, it's not why I'm, like that come naturally again. Mm. Um, but it's like I'm working on I'm going to work with a big pink now. I've done a song with Piers from the Cruels on Thursday. Done a song with Screaming uh, uh, Screaming Benga. Done a song with Benga and Koki last night. Mm. But then I've also made like fucking four like four, four bang, new banging house things ready for Circo Loco. But that's sick. That's so exciting for you. No, though. I love it. I yeah. love it. But, but it's, the thing is, if I don't do that. I become stagnant and I get bored yeah. and I become I don't really enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. And it's like the main look. I'm on the latter end. Well, I don't, don't want to say the latter end because I don't want to like jinx anything. But I mean, like I want to go legacy now. Yeah. Like legacy here and now. Yeah. Because it's um not for any other reason, but I've built up so many links with people over the years. It's like like my phone book ain't like the normal person's phone book. Like whether it be Ronson or or, or Arthur. But I was with, I had lunch with Arthur Baker. He's working on the next record I'm working on. Like like it's like. You see, I need to take advantage of these, of the, of the not take advantage of the people. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely awful. But I mean, like I've got the, the links there to do something really, really special. Which next year, next year is uh, yeah, when it's going to happen. What does like what what does a legacy for you look like? Legacy for me is just being here. Yeah, legacy is, is actually still being wanted to be here. But what I mean is like I'm at the bet. Personally, I think I'm at the best I've ever been production-wise, <clears throat> and want and am ready to go being better. Like not even yeah. better, but like it's it's taken me 20 years to get what I hear in my head into a computer, which I know most people might think that sounds stupid, but it's a really hard thing to do to actually get what you hear. Like whether it's a melody, whether it's it's a vocal line, whether it's drums, like anything, I can now do that. And it's like I'm excited mm. for because my ear, I live on my ear, right? And I know what I know what I believe is good songs and whatever, and, and I believe I'm making good songs, so everyone's fucked basically. <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking, but um, no, but I feel really confident, and I've never, I've never really been confident as much as I, 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 I come across like that. Mm. But that's only because I'm, I, I'm good at the social game. But I've never really been overly confident. I was never the best at. I weren't ever the best producer. I weren't ever the best at anything. But like, that took uh, to my my people in my peripheral. So, like, but I feel I'm at my best, and like, I know, I know the thing is, I know I can be a beast when it comes to writing. Yeah. Like, cause I've always, it's always been celebrated. Like, I'm not celebrated, but it's always been a smoke rap thing. Like, I can write rapid, and I can do it. I do a lot when I go, and I'm at like I've never felt confident. In fact, now I feel confident. I'm like. I feel like it's just getting started now. Do you think that's just come with like experience? It's come with experience. It's come with with mistakes. It's come with 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 just just acknowledging that I, like that I'm like like lucky to still be here. When I say lucky, some people say no, nah, you've worked for it or whatever. It don't matter. I've seen people work themselves into the ground and disappear. Mm. So it's just um, I think it's acknowledging certain things like just whether it be having a breather. Like or or just choosing your own battles, basically. Mm. it's when you're fighting all other people's battles, is when you fuck yourself to the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to chat about it a little bit. You've been quite public with it, but your choice to go, go stints or do stints with sobriety. I, yeah, yeah, I did. I did two months. It was just like if you if you'd have seen the people like the parties, I was just not about and I'd be for it. It was just like fucking hell. The thing what I realised, this was the bit 
where I was like, what, what, this is not, this ain't no offense to no one or like whoever is this who, who thinks they were there, what I'm talking about. Like, it was nothing happened that much. Like, what it was is, I just had this, just bit of clarity. Maybe it was the acid. No, I'm joking. Um, but it was just, um, I looked around and every, no one around me had, um, I'd put it like um, like life collateral, like whether it be mortgage, whether it be house, whether it be kids, whether it be whatever. Yeah. They could do what they're doing, roll on how they're doing, because they can. Like, they're in a good money, or like whatever. But I was like, I've actually got kids, people that need looking after, like, and, and, and things I need to be kicked on. Like, that slipped a little, like, not slipped, but like, it was just like, was a bit reckless, you know what I mean? And it was just like, I was fucked this, I need a break from it. And this first break I had, like, fucking since I was about 12. Yeah, which is fucking mad. Piece of piss, though. Yeah. Piece of piss. All you have to do is prioritise your time. Right. Go to a gig, go home. Yeah. That's basically what I do. And that, and that, and that sounds, that's, look, I have to point out, my dad's like, 20 years sober, like, works for AA, works at Bethlehem in Hospital, so I'm not, I'm not saying it's that easy, but I mean, my bit isn't, it's not like, you won't like, it's, it's the party is the issue. Right. Because it's not like, I don't go home and then go and do whatever. I just go home, go to bed. Yeah. So it's just prioritising your time, really. Like, pick your flights. Don't get there first thing in the morning. Get there with, like, a reasonable time before. Like, never get the last flight out. That's always a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, get there two hours before when you're due to play. Go to the hotel. Sort your shit out. Yeah. Go there, go home, get first flight out. Yeah. So I found it fairly easy. Do you think those two months are going to change? The thing is, my pals, like, when, when I did that, my mates all did the same. Right, yeah. Or when I was there. And it's easier when your mates are doing the same. Yeah, right? they'd come in the booth to make sure that like, it wasn't like look, the thing. What the, the thing what not stressed me out is other people take it on as their problem. That's what really stressed me out. Right. It's like if I wanted to have a drink during that time, I'd have a drink. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it's yeah. when other people start making it their problems really annoyed me. In what in what way? Like it'd be like. I could see people like to call them up and I was playing in Circo at DC and fucking, I could see someone going, no, you're not allowed to drink around him. I right. turned around and said, yeah, I saw you fucking self. Right? I said, I want people to have a good time when I'm playing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I said, it's, it's your choice, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it wasn't like a thing where phew, I was found in a crack house with a shotgun, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, yeah. it was just, I had, I had a break. Like, it was, and it was, it shouldn't have affected, like, so many people shouldn't have got involved. It was like, I'm, 30, I'm nearly 40. Yeah. Like, I want a break. Not everyone else has got to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's other people seem, other people like getting involved in other people's shit, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it wasn't, no one told me to do it. It was just like, like I realised that I've got like, there's, it was, it was more of a thing of realising what I've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like, I just had a break for a bit. Sound. The only thing was, I was drinking about 30 fucking Lucky Saints set. They taste like, disgusting, but no, nah, lucky saints <laughs> good. Like lucky saints are good. I yeah, like no, no, nah, nah, I don't normally like not like with beer. So there's always saint missing, but lucky saints is another good one. I'm not sure. I've, I've like talking about branding or it's whatever. Right, it's not sponsored. But there's um, there's a good um, Brooklyn Lager one's nice and all. I like it when I when I go barbecue. I always have to. Have to cause I still drink non alcoholic beer. Yeah, still have it. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. like, I don't really I don't drink beer to get pissed. I can't get pissed on beer anyway. <laughs> I'm a big yeah. spirit drinker when I drink. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I like a lucky saint really. What was it like DJing sober? Easy. Like, yeah. When was it that? It's like, it's like riding the bike, you know, I'm DJing since I was 11. If I can't DJ sober, I'm fucking useless. Yeah. <laughs> I actually enjoyed it more. I ended yeah, up like, enjoying it more. Yeah, I was, I was, people pointed out, like, people was like, like, my first, my first show was at DC, which was, it was an hard one to do, but I thought, fucking, if you go there, it's, when I say it's hard one to do, it's because it's going to be for everyone who's living out there, all your pals and whatever. But my mates were like, my mates were, I would say they drink, they was like, ah, fucking sweet. 
we won't either. Mm. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. Weren't like a thing. They said, I'm like, but I didn't ask no one to do anything. It was just, uh, it was, right. it was on the point. Like, but I mean, I'd like to think I'm on point anyway. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You can't, like, it's not fucking the hardest thing in the world to do, is it? It's like, you, you pay more attention to the room, is one thing I will point out. Right. Rather than playing to your mates or in the booth, yeah, you know, yeah, turning around going, yeah, yeah, fucking go mad, yeah. But it was I was paying more attention to the room, definitely, yeah. Like all I'm blind as a bat, I could probably see about the first two rows most of the time, anyway. But it was, yeah, it was definitely like I had it off, so like two months of the season, so like that was that was closing as well. I think I had it was two months in and then closing. Closing, I got right stuck in. Closing, I got right stuck in. But um, yeah, but, uh, no, I found it. Um, I do, I'll probably do it. Love to do it. Fucking like once a year or something. Yeah. Just break it. Especially IB for IB. We get so mad that it's like look, everyone knows. Like my lot are like the Avengers of the parties. Like it's like the, <laughs> like the full last one standing. We got Thanos. We got everyone. Like, <laughs> but it's like it's, it gets a lot, and it's the thing is, you start to realise. Start to become one of the oldest in the room as well, which ain't, it's not a particularly nice feeling sitting in someone's gaff at seven in the morning and like, knowing that you're going to feel rough in a couple of days and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I was like, the you get older, but the crowds stay the same age. Well, did, but you see, the mad thing for me is you got to think, my crowd of my age all the way through until yeah. now. Until now. Because <laughs> right, yeah. everyone my age is retired from the parties in married kids working in office you know what I mean <laughs> so when I go and pick the kids up from school it's like I can't tell everyone what's happening at the weekend I, ask them, I say to you oh, do you have a nice weekend like you're trying to be like like parent or that yeah and they're like yeah two glasses of wine and Chinese mental <laughs> like what do you get up to about it's a quiet one <laughs> you know what I mean if I told them they'd be like ah fucking kids will probably get taken away do you know what I mean <laughs> let's look, quickly touch on Ibiza so we're running out on a bit of time but um, what a fool believes Aretha Franklin oh. this reminds you of so this is when I had the apartment behind space me and Jack Pastor I had a gaff together 2014 and I just remember it was mentally this gaff mad gaff we were quite new new on the island and I remember people would come back to our gaff and we wouldn't play house or techno, like we wouldn't have it. You weren't allowed like anything that was played in the club, you didn't play at the afters. And I think it's still the way it should be. Like you play we play party tunes and that. We used to always play this game, best song in the world, it's an impossible question, but you end up having a right good party because it's all just belters all night. Mm -hmm. And this was an iconic one. There was uh, all the boys from Glasgow come over. It was about the apartment probably only held twenty, there was about thirty of us. No balcony. Or a little balcony about the size of that table. And this song coming on, just everyone, I just remember every, the song coming out and everyone's going, ah, what a fool, please. But it's uh, such a belt. It holds a special place in my heart. And I've got um, one last question for you. So we basically try and do this with everyone that comes on. Mm. You don't know who the next guest is, but if you had to give one record to that person so we could buy the vinyl record and give it to them, Photek Complex. What would it be? That one. Photek Complex, yeah. Why that one? Best song ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, literally, it was made in what, 96, 97? Photek Complex. It was like, between 96 and 98, I think, or 95, 97. Between around that era. And it's, I remember playing it at Fabric. I nicked it out my brother. I nicked it off my brother. I actually still have the copy I nicked of him. And it's literally, still to this day, it sounds like the future. Photek is a G. Like, unbelievable. Like, and you listen to the drum programming on that. Not to sound like a geek it, but it's still. In a world where drum and bass is like a fully fledged thing and, and it's still pro, like it's still top notch production, them drums on that song are untouchable. Photek complex all day, every day. 
Wicked. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Ivy. It's so nice to see you. It's been too long. It's been long. Moments in music.